Welcome to Dealmaker Diaries, where you hear directly from the dealmakers who you invest with. M&A, real estate syndication, and more. Strap in for unparalleled advice, wisdom, and insight from some of the world's best business minds with Don Thomas and G1C Group. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Dealmaker Diaries. Today, we have with us Andy Gerzak, founder of All City Adjusting a licensed public adjusting firm. Andy immigrated to America from Poland with his family at the age of nine. After working in the construction industry, more specifically fire restoration, Andy opened his own public adjusting firm. Over the last decade, Andy has not only protected thousands of people from being defrauded, but also helped them receive more money than what their insurance initially offered. In one instance, a client had his business burned to the ground and was originally quoted $3,000 from his insurance company. With Andy's help, he received over $600,000 and was able to properly rebuild and restart his business. Passionate that no one should be discriminated against because of gender, race, and any other reason, Andy works hard to make sure his clients get what they truly deserve from their claims. So let's give Andy a warm welcome to the show. Let's go! Andy, welcome to the show. Nice to have you here today. So appreciate you having me on. Great, great. Likewise. So, Andy, why don't you give us a little bit about your background and um, how you came to be an adjuster? Of course. Um, I myself have been a PA almost ten years now. We started the company. Um, it's all city adjusting. Um, before that, I was in construction. Uh, pretty much my entire early childhood or you know, early years, I was in construction, had my own construction company, um, and then ended up meeting a PA that was actually, he was PA for 40 years. He took me under his wings and kind of taught me everything in three years. I got like 40 years of knowledge with him and another PA, um, and they kind of taught me everything. So I was able to learn stuff that no one even, there's no books about it. Um, so yeah, three years and then started my own. And now we're 12 states and, and growing. Okay. And, and out of some, I mean, you had construction background. Does that, does that help you in your career as a, an adjuster? A hundred percent. That's probably the, one of the best knowledge, the best like, things you can bring into this industry, adjusting, especially when you're going estimating damage in a building. You know, um, there's a software the insurance company use. There's a couple to Symbility and exact, uh, Exactimate, um, and it's basically the uh, estimating software. But it's just a guideline. Mm-hmm. No one construction go in and knowing what's damaged and what's behind the walls and how a home is built and know the technical. You that's what kind of puts us makes us different than meeting with most insurance adjusters because they have no training in construction. They just mm-hmm. know basically you go in, you take pictures, you 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 put all these numbers in your program and it shoots out numbers. But then there's all these technicalities, like differences, like, well, you know, remove and replace door, but this door is on the third floor. So you're not accounting that you got to carry this door three, you know, three stories down and then into a dumpster. There's all these little things. So that's, that's exactly, you know, what makes us different and no one construction just gets you to a different level in this, in this industry. Okay. Right. And and for our listeners, I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people aren't so familiar with adjusters. So what, what does a public adjuster do? 
Public adjuster is a licensed adjuster that's only able to represent the insured, meaning he cannot work for the insurance company. You have a staff adjuster and independent adjusters who work for the insurance companies. And then the licensed public adjuster is able to represent the insured on his policy. He can negotiate, um, he can discuss the claim with the, uh, with the insurance, basically everything in, in your policy for that claim, he can negotiate, interpret, um, uh, and then settle the claim. Okay. And is there, how are, how are you guys paid? Is there, is there just a set payment or does it depend on the uh, complexity of, of the um, certain case? Yeah, good question. Um, so most PAs work on contingency. So it's what you recover is what you get paid on. Um, mm -hmm. We don't take any retainers. Um, we look at a claim and look at complexity, like you said, and how large the claim is, and then we adjust our claims. So it would range maybe anywhere from 10 to 25%. Um, with multi-units or when you, we have our large clients, we have a scaling thing. So as the claim goes up, our fee actually comes down on the larger claim. So it even goes a little bit lower than 10. Okay. And once right. the claim is settled, once the claim is settled and finalized and the client gets the check, that's when they pay us. So it's okay. not like they're paying anything out of pocket. It's once they actually get a check that they would pay us. Okay. All right. So yeah, Andy. So um, so how does one decide when they need a public adjuster? I would assume. I mean, you don't always need to use an adjuster when you have you have damages. I mean, what what helps someone someone decide? Do you walk through the process with them? And are there instances that you would say you probably don't need us in this situation? Your insurance company would be able to solve this. About us, yeah. You should when you're building your team as a real estate investor, and you have commercial properties, you know, single families, or whatever, and you're and you're growing your portfolio. Just when you're building your team, you have your contractors, your attorney, um, you know, maybe a real estate agent. You should have a PA on your team as well, because if you have a good PA and you set up a fee schedule with them, like we have with our clients. So when our clients will call us and say, "Hey, we have water damage," okay, well, let us go check it out. Let's see if this is a claim you should file. If this is something small, is it wear and tear? Maybe it's water. We have mold in, in this room. Okay, well, you've had a leak for 10 years. This is not something you could claim. So we would advise our clients. But if you have a good PA, that he's the first person that should receive that call, that should go look at that loss and advise you if you should file it, how you should file it. And then they would file for you, just like we do for our clients. We take the claim. We actually set up everything, file the claim then discuss everything with the insurance. So our insurance stay in the background. They don't discuss anything with the insurance company. We, we advocate from the beginning all the way to the end. Okay. And um, talk about, um, so of course, I mean, I'm not sure as a disclaimer, most of my listeners probably know I own an insurance agency. So um, what are some of the things you've seen that, where insurance companies or carriers might not be acting in the insurance best interest. Yeah, we see bad faith uh, daily. I mean, I can we can write a book about uh, all the stuff we see. When it comes to insurance policies, um, as you know, you know, most 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 insurers they look at, you know, where's where can I go to save a penny, right? Yeah. They want the cheapest premium, which is which should never be the case because if you're talking about a $200,000 property or a million dollar property and that's your asset you should, you know, for three, $400, you should not be worried. That's a yearly $400 fee because if you do have a loss, 
there's a huge difference in policy and what's yeah. in a good policy, right? So we see now a lot of stuff that used to be a standard on the standard policy that's excluded that you have to buy as endorsements, where mm -hmm. whether it's law and ordinance is not included anymore. And I know State Farm doesn't include law and ordinance uh, in their policies for, for rentals, for example. Well, law and ordinance costs maybe $10 a year. That covers you 10% of, if your structure is covered for 400,000, that's 10% extra coverage for any law and ordinance, meaning if you had a fire and now you have to upgrade everything, all electrical and all the insulation up to code, that's, mm. they cover that. Um, just different types of endorsements that, like I said, we used to be are not no more. So we're seeing that a lot. Um, we're seeing a lot of funny language in terms of, you know, uh, wear and tear is not covered, um, no mirroring, um, just different stuff um, that you have to be really have a good agent and really know what's in that policy and just understand it. If not, have a good PA. If you do buy a policy, have a good PA that understands your policy. So when something happens, they know exactly you know, if it's covered and how to present it to the insurance company. Okay, absolutely. And um, and when someone is looking for an adjuster, what what should they look for in an adjuster? What what questions if they're if they're calling looking for a PA? What questions should yeah. they be asking asking you if they were looking to hire? Yeah, how long you know? How long have you been you know? How long have you been in business? How long have you been a PA for? What's your experience in this in this industry? Um, what kind of claims do you handle? Because you know a PA might just be doing roofing claims, but if you call them with the fire, say, well, we do everything. Well, how many fire claims have you handled? Water claims, right? Are you know, our company specializes in large loss. And, and I say this not just because I say we only want the big claims. It's not the case. It's because that's what we specialize. We're really good at larger claims in terms of whether it's water, whether it is a storm damage claim on the commercial roof, um, because we know we have a whole team of people. And if we were doing smaller claims, we're residential roofing and stuff, you know, with the team we have, we wouldn't be profitable unless we were charging people, you know, 40, 50 percent. It wouldn't make sense for us. So our team is built on handling a large claim because we have um, each person for each division, whether it's contents, uh, business interruption, whether it's estimating. So we're able to, you know, handle that claim really quick, uh, maximize it. Um, if you think about it, an insurance company has one adjuster usually, most of the time, that will come out to a, to a job and he handles all the coverage decisions, right? So he's handling personal property, structure, business interruption. That's a lot on one adjuster that gets three, four fires. You know, the insurance yeah. companies are so low staffed right now, they don't have any people. And so they're taking anyone that's got a computer that can drive a car, get on the ladder to be a, an you know, insurance adjuster. So when we take a claim on, you know, whatever coverages there, there is, there's a team for it. And so we can put the claim together, negotiate and settle it quicker um, for our insurance so they can get money and get their property back in order. All right, and Andy, you've been doing this two year, ten years. So, how much is a gap? How much of a gap do you usually see in what the insurance company's adjusters rate 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 damage yeah. versus what you would rate that same damage? So, we're usually we're usually doubling claims at least minimum. If we look at a claim, we're going to double that 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 amount of the claim. That's that's minimum. Um, and again, sometimes we don't see it because when we come in, we start the claim fresh. So it's not like we got called in, they got an offer. So half of our claims we from new clients that, that call us will already have a claim. They've either been, you know, it's been delayed, maybe denied, uh, maybe 
underpaid or just bad faith and they call us and say, you know, this is what we got. So then we'll handle the claim from them. But then the other 50% are clients that we've already had in our system that call us for repeated losses. So those clients, you know, we take that claim right from the beginning. And then that okay. claim goes really quick. We maximize it. We discuss that claim. Those are the quickest claims. There's no delays because again, we know exactly what we're presenting to the insurance, how to present it. And there's no delays, no, mm, there's a red flag. We don't get any red flags on our claims. Yeah, I would assume when you're talking with the uh, claims department, I mean, they know they're talking to a jester, so they know you know the answer's out versus most insurers have no clue really how to handle claims, right? So, and they, and they will still ask the same questions to us that they would ask the insurer. But again, the way you answer them when they say, what happened, what kind of damage? Well, we had a flood. Well, right away in their system, floods not covered. Mm-hmm. They didn't have a flood, you had a water break. But people technically, when they have water, they just say, you know, water ran in, yeah. I had just flood, right? Because you use that term, you know, or mold. You have to be careful what terms you use. So the way we, when we talk to the insurance, the way we present the claim is make sure there's no flags or anything that's going to delay that claim from getting investigated or any other stuff that you know throws a red flag and more people are looking at the claim. Okay. Yeah, because I remember reading about Hurricane Katrina. It was before you were an adjuster, but I'm sure you've read about it too, where a lot of people had damage from, I forget the specifics, but I don't know if it was, they had damage from the flood or damage from the water, but insurance companies were denying a lot. They were saying, well, this was from, they were saying it was from this, it was from wind damage or it was from the storm, but it wasn't from the flood. Anyway, they were denying a lot of policies. Correct. So it was, yeah. So, and we, we've studied Katrina and we know, so what was happening is they were saying, you know, flood damage not covered, but it wasn't a flood, it was a hurricane. Technically the wind came, blew the house, then water rose, the levels rose and so excuse me the water was effectively consequential damages right from the right. from the hurricane they were finding ways to deny it they do that all the time and we see it all the time now where they'll find terms to use so they can just deny a claim and we're seeing it more and more unfortunately but it used to be where insurance companies had an eye for coverage you know to look how they can get a claim covered and pay and the, when you get, when you talk about adjusters or from the insurance companies, you know we still meet the, the staff adjusters once in a while that have been with insurance companies for 20, 30 years. Those are the, the best guys to work with because those guys still have that mentality, eye for coverage, let's come to an agreement, let's pay a claim. But it's with these new adjusters that just, they're basically called cat adjusters where they come out, they take pictures, write a quick estimate and they're out to the next town. Well then, you know, they don't care. They get paid no matter what. They're going to get paid their fee and they're gone. So no one cares about getting the claim actually covered and paid. Now, though, these adjusters for the insurance companies, are they W-2 employees? Or are they freelance contract? How, how do they work? So, so there's two, yeah. So most insurance companies, what they used to have staff adjusters, meaning adjusters that were on staff, were paid with insurance, with, you know, uh, with all the benefits. Whereas now they've went independent route where they just hire all these independent companies and they don't have to pay them no, no, uh, no, life, no, no benefits, uh, no insurance, nothing. So what happens is if they, if an independent comes to your house, he'll write an estimate, he'll submit it to the, to the, to the insurance, and then he's gone to the next claim or the next town. And you would probably most likely never hear from him. And he gets paid no matter what, he's gonna get paid as 300, 400, he gets his bonuses and he's gone. Okay. Whether, whether your claim gets paid, denied, what they don't care. They're, they get paid. 
And once the suggester makes a decision, is that final? So say he says, okay, yeah, State Farm, you need to pay. This guy has $700,000 in damages. Yes. But State Farm says, no, we don't, we don't, we don't agree with that. We don't, I mean, once he makes that decision, do they have to pay or can they come back and say the suggester was incorrect? No, so we would come back and if the insurance is not correct, again, that happens on majority, you know, 50% of our claims. So we look at the estimate, we're like, you know, even in, we've had instances where the adjuster is like, well, why did the client hire you? What do you mean? Well, I already paid max or, or something. And I'm like, well, dude, you didn't pay like this other coverages. There's like $200,000 that you didn't pay. So that happens all the time, but the closes, it's never closed, right? Until they finally say, hey, you know, we're just flat out not paying a penny more. And if we've shown it's, you know, if there's bad faith and there's still a lot of money that should have been paid, well, then the insured has a uh, opportunity to discuss that with an attorney and then he can take it to litigation. Or uh, there's also the appraisal clause, as you're familiar with policies. Mm -hmm. So if we can, you know, if we go back and forth, we go back and forth. And, you know, we really, we really push our claims in terms of we handle everything in house and on our own. It's not like we just take a claim write all our uh, estimates and present everything. And if they don't pay, say, hey, go hire an attorney. Like we'll fight, we'll keep fighting until, hey, there's, we've exhausted all our options. And then there's the option of appraisal, right? Where as long as you you have, um, you, you kind of agreed on coverages and the damages, you're kind of, now you can go to appraisal where the insurance company will hire an independent appraiser. We would hire an independent appraiser and they have to come to an agreement. Um, if they can't, and then umpire steps in, and then again, if that still doesn't work out, you can. There's the litigation uh, route. Okay. So, and in your ten years, I mean, I'm sure you've seen a lot. So, I mean, talk to me about one of the most interesting cases you've handled. One of the most eye-opening. One of the most eye-opening. You can't be there. Um, I'll tell you, and we probably discuss this, but I'll tell you this one that just happened. Um, I won't tell you the carrier. I'll just say they're one of the bigger ones. They support all the veterans, so you can kind of take a guess of which one that is. Yeah. Uh, and this is a four-unit gorgeous building. Insured just had it finished. He was actually about to rent it out. Um, he actually had people coming to look at it. Um, had a fire before he was able to rent it out. Contractor left a couple tools. Well, after the fire, the insurance company asked, you know, present us with the personal property list of all the damage, you know, personal property you had at the home. So on that list, unfortunately, he put, you know, a couple of the contractor's tools, two, two pieces of, two literally tools that he put on the list. When the insurance company called the contractor after a fire, they'll like to, they'll like to get numbers of anyone at that property so they can investigate it. And the contractor mentioned, you know, that was, you know, he had a couple of tools in there. So then they're like, went to the insured and said, oh, well, you know, those tools were the contractors. So you misrepresented the policy and they flat out denied the claim. And you're talking about a half a million dollar claim. Wow. He's got zero, half a million dollar fire with, with no money. So um, that, wow. that just, and those, the insurance companies with the, with those great commercials, there's a bunch mm -hmm. of them. Those are the ones where we're like, Jesus, you know, how can you even have commercials like that? When the stuff you're doing is, is, uh, is just, uh, that, that's what really opens your eyes. So then mm -hmm. when people are like, oh, why do I need a PA? <clears throat> you should have a PA in every claim because you don't, you don't even know what you're getting into. Yeah, yeah. It, it's Absolutely. not a, days of where, you know, the staff adjuster living a couple blocks from you came to your house after a fire, wrote an estimate, got, you know, put everything together, paid fairly, then even came 
buy and gave you the check, those days are gone. You're, you're dealing with 20, you know, 20 year olds out of college that have no experience in any of it. All they are told is we don't pay for this. We don't do this. If you don't do this, it's denied, delay it. I mean, there's books about this stuff. So yeah, yeah, it's a cutthroat business. So yeah, I definitely recommend it is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you said something a while back that I totally agree on when you have clients or customers there, you know, they're buying multi-million dollar assets and they're looking for the least expensive premiums. I mean, I tell my clients all the time, that's, that's the last thing you want to do. You want to protect this asset. So yeah, it's going to be more expensive, but yeah, you're, you're going to be accurately covered in the case of, in the case of some damage. So you definitely don't want to be looking for the cheapest policy with a $30 million apartment complex or $30 million business. Yeah, and I never understood that. If you're, if you're investing and you're, and you're growing your portfolio, I mean, that, that's, that's your safety net. Yeah. I mean, and then, you know, for our investors, when we're done settling their claims and the ones that are insured well, you know, they'll have enough money to rebuild their, their house twice, three times with that amount. So, you know, it's worth every penny. And it's not like we're talking $10,000 differences in insurance premiums. You're usually a couple hundred dollars off from, yeah. from bad, a couple hundred more to good, a couple hundred more to bust. Yeah. So unfortunately, people, you know, I, I can't speak for other people, but uh, a recommendation is definitely, you know, it's, it's, every penny is worth for, for good insurance. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. All right, Andy, so before we hop off, why don't I put you through the lightning round to um, see um, what makes you tick? All right, you guys, you got one of those too, huh? I've been on one of these, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I know, I mean, I know you came here, I mean, you have the interesting background. I mean, you came here, age of nine from Eastern Europe, Poland. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, you seem pretty motivated. So what, what, what book or books have greatly influenced your life? Uh, the first one that I ever read was Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That was kind of the first book that opened my eyes to, to everything. Um, from that book, there's one called The Slight Edge. Uh, I forgot, uh, Austin, I forgot who actually wrote it. The Slight Edge. Um, that one is this really good. That was the second book that really, um, Put a lot of stuff in perspective, and then um, the Alchemist uh, and uh, the Alchemist was a great one. I mean, I I read a lot so, um, into personal, you know, personal development and stuff. But Robert Kiyosaki was is definitely the first and the top one that that's really close to me. Okay. How many books do you read a year? Um, this year I might do 15, 20. Last year I set a goal of fifty, and we read read did fifty books. Okay. Oh yeah, I didn't put it. This 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 <clears throat> this year I'm kind of uh, reading slower and more into the books because there are certain books I wanted to read and take my time. So mm -hmm. going a little bit slow. There's a book I have, uh, The Laws of Success by Napoleon Hill. Um, it was the one that got banned before he wrote uh, Think and Grow Rich. Oh really? Okay. So yeah, I got that one. So that one's like this thick. So um, that one I'm really going through deep. Okay, I have to check that one out. All right, so next one, how has a failure or perceived failure actually allowed you a greater success later? Um, starting out in this industry, not knowing anything, not knowing, starting a business, not knowing anything about business. Um, the first three years were rough um, because, again, I, we spent money or I spent money um, on stuff that wasn't needed and tried to grow quicker than, you know, so bringing in the wrong people into the business, spending the money the wrong way and just 
all those mistakes <clears throat> just really like started snowballing. And then it was like, wow, I, this is really bad. So I had to restart over. So knowing all those bad things and basically failing for three years, mm -hmm. now it's like, okay, well, I already did all the mistakes. I spent three years, you know, fixing, you know, making mistakes and then had, you know, seven years of correcting everything and, and doing it the right and figuring it out. So um, those were, that those three years were probably the best learning uh, years I've, I had. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I think those, those mistakes, especially ones where you lose money, right? Those are the best right. learning experiences, you know, right? I was listening to, I think it was a book or a podcast or something. I was, where this guy asked entrepreneurs what, what, what's common about entrepreneurs. And they said, well, most of them answer that once they're all, that they knew they were in, once they were all in and there was no going back. And to me, like I've had those ones where I was all in and I invested money and put everything into the business. I'm like, well, there's no going back now. I'm yeah. going to be all in. So, Absolutely. So, yeah. All right. And if you could have a billboard, Andrew, anywhere with anything on it, what would it say? Be kind. And be just kind. Be nice to people. Yeah. Be nice to people. People are so worked up about politics, about everything these days. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah. be nice. Put everything to the side and just talk to people. I don't know. All right, good, good. I like that one. All right, Andy, what's your favorite place to think big? To think big? Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> anywhere as long as I'm alone, somewhere in the woods. As long as I'm in the woods somewhere or somewhere in a cabin, uh, there's nothing around me. That's usually when I have my uh, best like, powwows, best thought moments. Okay. Yeah, I'm a big nature guy too. Love the, love the mountains. We grew up in the mountains in Poland, so. Okay. All right, and a couple of more. So um, what have you become better at saying no to? Uh, different ideas and different businesses. So, you know, when you get to a position, I think when you're investing or you're growing a business, you know, and you're successful, you become successful. Um, people throw different ideas at you, uh, different businesses and stuff. Saying no to that, because I like to say yes to stuff because I like trying new stuff. Mm -hmm. But saying no to more distractions and other, you know, doing other stuff and just focusing on, you know, a couple main things. Okay, excellent, excellent. All right, and last one. So this one gets a little deep. So what important truths do very few people agree with you on? Oh, wow. <laughs> Can you, uh, important truth that people agree with me on? Yeah, so we are, what important truth do very few people agree with you on? So, you know, everybody has their own truth, right? So basically, what do you believe in strongly that very few people agree with? <laughs> uh, let's see. I don't, you know, that's, a, that's a, you caught me off guard. Um, that I guess that there's more to life than sitting in front of TV, wa TV watching the news and listening to politics and being so involved in everything else just living in the now and not worrying about stuff you can't control. I just have, with, with this pandemic and everything that happened, so many people got into all these uh, conspiracy theories and all this other stuff. And it's like, man, just live in the now. You yeah. can't even control stuff. I don't know why you would worry about that. <clears throat> they still do, so. Even yeah, yeah, that's good. I mean, that's actually a good one because I get caught up in it as well sometimes. But yeah, you find yourself arguing with somebody about, you know, mask or 
Yeah. Getting a vaccine is it's beyond your control anyway. You know, you don't have any effect on those decisions. Okay, whether made. someone wants to do it or doesn't, you know, it's that person's decision. I'm not here to change anyone's mind. Yeah. I just don't want to take away from my family or my now. And... All right. Awesome. Yeah. Good one. All right, Andy. Well, great. Great. So before we hop off, if anybody wants to get in contact, you reach out. Yeah. Uh, what's the best way for them to get in touch? Yeah, best way is um, to reach me. I'll, I'm going to give your uh, listeners my cell phone. Um, they can call me directly, save my number if they might never need it, but save it in your phone book as a you know, PA Andy or PA, however, public adjuster, however you want to save my number. Um, it's 708-655-4186, 708-655-4186. That's my direct line. Call me, um, text me. Don't call me after maybe seven, eight. My wife might get upset, so... Um, but other than that, it's all game. I'm always open to helping people and, and educating. Um, you can also check us out on uh, allcityadjusting.com or just type in all city and you'll find out all you'll find all the information about us. All right, awesome. Yeah, I'll run those across across the screen so the listeners can see those. All right, Andy. So yeah, it was so great having you on, learning about what you do. I think uh, this is a great value for the listeners because I certainly didn't know as much before speaking with you as well. So thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. And I love the background, by the way. It's a good one. Ah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right, Andy, I'll talk to you soon. You take care. Thanks, Desmond. Appreciate it. There you have it, guys. Another episode of Dealmaker Diaries in the books. If you enjoy and or find value in what we're doing, please do leave us a nice review. It goes a long way in keeping the show moving in the right direction. For you investors, if you're looking for places to put your hard-earned capital to work, head on over to our website, g1cgrp.com, and sign up for our investor list to be informed of the different projects we're raising capital for that will provide you with the cash flow your investments so much deserves. <laughs>